welcome to the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. This is the show where this week we honor town meeting and local elections with a replay of a 2019 interview with author, town moderator, and democracy geek, Susan Clark. Emily and I will be back next week with journalist John Walters. Until then, take care. Hello, this is your host, Olga Peters, and I want to welcome to the show author Susan Clark. She is a Vermont resident and co-author of Slow Democracy, Rediscovering Community, Bringing Decision-Making Back Home, which she co-authored with Woden Teachout. And Susan also co-authored with UVM professor and political scientist Frank Bryan, all those in favor. So she is a democracy wonk, I think is a safe way to put it. What do you think, Emily? I think that sounds just about right. We're going to have a good conversation about the point of participation. <laughs> so thank you for jun- joining us today, Susan. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Ge- geekiness and all. <laughs> <laughs> we like geeks on this show, though. <laughs> so my first question to you, Susan, is... You know, there's a lot of talk about Vermont's town meeting and direct government, but Emily and I have also seen just on the ground how it can be very hard to engage people and to increase participation. It's so often the same people showing up to the same meetings over and over again. So my first question to you is kind of two part. One, why do we need direct democracy and why and how do we better engage people in it? Small question. <laughs> yeah, terrific. Wonderful. Yeah, wonderful questions. And, um, yeah, the why is, is, and we say, you know, direct democracy, you're, you're talking about, you know, directly engaging people in democratic decision-making. And, um, you know, we, we called our book Slow Democracy for a reason, um, uh, sort of a joke. Um, but, uh, you know, you know that when we do include people, more people in the uh, decision-making, it's, it's going to, um, you have you have the feeling that it's going to slow things down. So we're very aware of the pluses of, of centralizing um, decision making. We we see those decisions as being made faster and more efficiently, and we see that we can you know oh let's we can you know our solutions can be based on the experts. You know we can really bring in the um, uh, you know the best minds. Um, it's easier for management. It's easier for administrators. Um, you can have uniform and you know uniformity and predictability. So these are the things that we think of uh, when we think of the downsides of engaging people. But um, what we realize, uh, especially, this is, research is bearing this out, but we all kind of realize it when we've been involved locally as well. Um, when we involve people in decision making, those decisions are more likely to be durable. There's going to be more buy-in from the community, less pushback, you know, fewer lawsuits, um, and, and it really builds trust. So that's sort of the flip side of the, you know, the slow of slow democracy. Actually, the truth is that it can be faster um, because we don't have, uh, we aren't constantly second-guessing our decisions. You can also wind up with solutions that are really framed with local wisdom and local values. So you sort of customize solutions, um, which makes them uh, more sustainable. And then there's this wonderful training that happens, this local leadership um, skill building um, that, that we've been doing, you know, now for centuries in Vermont, where you know, everybody in Vermont in, in 
one capacity or another. So you play the role of a leader, and and that uh, can be really, really helpful in things like crises and emergencies. You know, we don't just look to government, you know, to do things for us. Um, so it's a really, I think it makes sense with our freedom and unity, you know, motto in Vermont um, to, to engage people locally. I really appreciate what you said about <laughs> slowing down and the value of slowing down and um, that that's when real democracy happens. And I, what I see in the community is so many folks here are moving so fast to make ends meet and how to... I'm wondering about sort of your ideas on reconciling those two things, that the people with the time to slow down um, already sort of have the privilege of being able to show up, and what happens to a democracy when um, participation becomes so divided that way. And I don't know if this is as true in the smaller towns as it is in Brattleboro, but it's certainly what I see in Brattleboro. Right, yeah, and, you know, that's that's really important, and and in our book, Slow Democracy, we do define, uh, you know, rigorously. We, we talk about you know three qualities of local engagement. It needs to be inclusive, deliberative, and, and empowered. And uh, you know, you're you're just talking about inclusion there. You know, we, it's not simply a question of whether we're represented, um, but can we can we actually participate? And we and we have to be um, very creative in today's economy. Um, to not just, you know, say, well, we had a meeting at 7 o'clock on Tuesday, you know, you didn't come, and therefore, you know, you must not have cared. We have to be much more uh, creative in pre- uh, offering um, online ways to engage, um, uh, meetings that, are, that don't look like meetings, but that look like family events, um, deal mm-hmm. trips, um, creative arts festivals, um, things that people want to be doing anyway, they, uh, we need to make it worth people's time um, to engage. And, and um, there are wonderful ways that, that we can do this, um, you know, showing up in places where people are going to be anyway. Um, but I, I will, um, you know, point out that, you know, what we know from our town meeting data um, is that ballot box voting, we think, oh, you know, it, it's so easy to vote. Um, and town meeting or, uh, you know, these kinds of meetings where you bring people together are uh, exclusionary um, because, you know, uh, it's, gosh, you know, ballot box voting is, is so easy. Everybody can just pop in and do it. Well, the fact of the matter is that um, we know that ballot box voting is notorious for, privilege, for privileging the dominant culture. You're more likely to vote if you're white, if you have more formal mm-hmm. education, mm-hmm. the socioeconomically elite are more likely to engage the ballot box. But 30 years of town meeting data tells us that there is no link between a town's attendance at or its verbal participation in its town meeting and any of its socioeconomic indicators like occupation, income, education. So it's, it's kind yeah. of counterintuitive. Um, but it, but it, it's helpful to look at this data and say, wow, there are some things that we have been doing right, that we have, we have been making some of our processes um, more inclusive even than, uh, than, than a lot of the national processes. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to say, Susan, I was up, uh, updating myself on your book, Slow Democracy, before today's show. And a couple of things that struck me is first, how interesting it is when we talk about democracy, you talk about some of the myths in democracy that it's about winning and losing uh, or one side or the other. And it's about fighting. It's about conflict. It's about, you know, you want to try to get around local government. You don't want mm-hmm. to try to work with it because it's out to kind of to screw you over <laughs> anyways. 
Um, and yet, good decision making in these small towns, it seems to me, is more about relationship building as you talked about the family picnics or the town meetings, so that rather than winners and losers, we're trying to build consensus. Is that what your studies have found? Well, yes. You know, consensus is a tricky word, but we are trying to build a better understanding of each other so that the solutions that we can come up with um, are ones that we can we can all buy into. And, um, you know, it's... It, Deliberation again. That you know, we, we define that one in our book pretty rigorously. It um, it doesn't just mean talking. <laughs> it means uh, you know a process where you really gather good, solid information on both sides. You weigh the options. It's not you know trying to sell you on something. It's saying, well, you know what, all of these things have pluses and minuses. Let's talk about them, and then you co-create solutions. So so in a deliberate process, it's not A versus B. It's let's co-create C. You know. Um, so you've got good facilitation, you've got, um, you know, sitting down together. And um, a, a really good deliberate process starts with, you know, what we call dialogue, which means trust building. It's, it's what you just mentioned. And research on, on social capital, things like, things like things that we associate with communities, like volunteerism, trust, reciprocity, these are things that social scientists study. And we know that five of the six New England states rank in the top ten for social mm-hmm. capital. And there, there are a lot of reasons for this, you know, and uh, as Emily mentioned, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, we're, we're a more homogeneous population. We don't have uh, a strong uh, legacy of slavery as some of the southern states, so there are a lot of reasons. We know it's not due to religion. Uh, Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts are these four least religious states uh, in uh, the United States. But um, it is likely that our civic infrastructure has something to do with it. And those five New England states uh, are the only places in the U.S. where town meeting is practiced, uh, and especially successful in our smaller communities. So it, it's helpful to kind of unpack some of these structures and say, what, you know, what's working? So speaking of unpacking those structures, um, there's a phrase that I've used in a lot of my work, collaboration moves at the speed of trust. And I, I've heard you sort of um, mm. point to that idea a few times as you've been speaking. And I think about that and I think about the process of real deliberation and what that looks like. And then I think about how I understand town meeting, which is a structure that I love and I love participating in. But I've been regularly reflecting on how Robert's rules of order force us into um, being for or against an idea rather than coming to a collaborative solution towards solving a shared problem. Can you give an example? Um, So the frame is already introduced. So when, um, when someone nominates someone or when someone um, puts forward something for deliberation, um, whether that is a budget item or a bill, that person is saying, this is my framing of the problem. This is my solution, my proposed solution for it. Are you for or against it, essentially? And that's when debate starts. And so debate generally then takes, or deliberation, generally takes the form of I think that's a good solution or I don't think that's a good solution, but it never, it rarely gets to the point of was the problem correctly identified. Hmm. And so... Oh, I think that is a terrific point. Just actually, just that was Emily talking. Really one. Sorry, go ahead. That oh, was Emily, Emily talking, yeah. yes. Okay. 
And actually, in addition to all those wonderful things you said about me, I'm also the town moderator in my little town of Middlesex. And so I'm uh, very aware of the downsides of Robert's rules. I, you know, it's, it's ironic because we talk so much about town meetings, we think this is, you know, of, of those three things I mentioned, inclusion, deliberation, and power, the deliberation must be where town meeting shines. But I completely agree with you that, in fact, Robert's Rules is intended as a decision-making process. It is, um, it should be the end product, uh, a product of an authentic solution creation process. Robert's Rules does not lend itself to the best elements of deliberation, those things that I talked about, weighing solutions. Uh, The point I guess I'm trying to make is that town meeting was never intended to be the only time we get together to talk all year, and it absolutely cannot bear that load. And so what we need is more ongoing, inclusive engagement throughout the year where we co-create those solutions, as as you mentioned, um, uh, because by the time we get to town meeting, um, we've narrowed things down uh, to, to... Here's the solution, and we basically get to talk about yes or no. We do get to amend, and that's, that's, that's super important with the budgeting process. But hopefully by the time we've gotten there, we've spent a year in our uh, – town meeting is the legislative body on issues of finance and governance. So during the year, let's have legislative committees. And those are the planning commissions, the conservation commissions, um, ad hoc committees that, that come together to, to deal with um, the issues that uh, they predict are going to come up at town meeting and really do have inclusive processes throughout the year so that by the time we get to town meeting, um, we uh, have really uh, had some good deliberation. I would be curious to hear from you. One, what are ways that we could strengthen those committee and ad hoc structures to make them really meaningful tools of participation? And two, what role, what role can all of that play and what role can legislators play or elected officials play in being part of those conversations? Yeah, there are some wonderful um, things that we can do. There's short-term things and long-term things that we can do to improve those, those conversations. Um, and uh, we actually have a couple chapters on, on those in the Elders and Favor book. Um, and, you know, some of them are just things that select boards can do, like highlighting the issues. Oftentimes, local leaders tend to kind of, if, there's, if they have a pet project, they'll kind of hide it in the budget um, and not even necessarily tell people that they that it's that it's there not so much uh, as a deceptive thing but because they put the work in and really believe that this needs to um, needs to go through and don't want to shine a big spotlight on it um, uh, and legislators do that too um, the act- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well if we can highlight what we're really up to um, it increases participation and then if you have a good process um, you welcome that participation and, and it's, it's not so frightening um, you know there's some really basic things offering child care uh, we know you know that, that statistically that um, that's going to increase participation by women our women uh, tend to you know still in this day and age um, do most of the child care um, our town moderators can tell the story better as we move along in our processes um, we can as I mentioned throughout the year make the whole process more transparent um, Front Porch Forum and, and uh, those kinds of online forums are great ways to 
uh, give people a heads up that things are happening. Um, you know, we can do mailings to welcome new voters as people are added to the checklist and, and um, remind them how uh, to, to engage in town meeting and, and other uh, processes. Uh, offering food, uh, because we are so also busy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's important to, you know, to feed our bodily needs, and, and it's also um, a great way to make things feel more welcoming. Um, but I would love to see legislators look at um, the way we encourage engagement right now, because we know that most of our laws about public engagement are 50 and 60 years old, mm-hmm. and they're... So, I mean, I was going to say they're better than nothing. In some cases, they aren't better than nothing because we now have 15, 60 years of data that tell us how people feel about, um, how they feel after they've been through uh, the most common form of public engagement, which is a public hearing. Um, and uh, and it's, public hearings are mandated uh, in, in many um, public processes, and they're sort of the, the go-to uh, uh, in, in statute. Uh, for public engagement and con- that, that type of conventional participation, three minutes of the microphone, um, we now know is um, uh, it, it increases tends to uh, increase distrust. It tends to increase polarization. Um, it so citizens don't feel great about uh, uh, participating in it. Leaders don't feel great having participated in it. Um, they tend to uh, often feel attacked. They tend to feel as if they put people through a polarizing experience, which they have. You know, there's, um, there and, are a few um, things. Our policies are damaged as well. There are a few things more satisfying than having social science research back up your own assumptions. <laughs> and this is one of those <laughs> cases, because I find public hearings to be one of the most alienating experiences that I go through in my life. Um, and I figure if I feel alienated by it, then more marginalized people than I must feel even more alienated. We are going to talk to Jim Condos on the show fairly soon. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious what questions or what tweaks you would want made in the way sort of sunshine laws work, public participation laws work. You know, as a secretary of state, he often takes the lead in any policy changes on that. So I'm curious if you could tell Jim Condos to do something tomorrow, what you would ask him to do. Mm, wow. I uh, would love to um, love to see the Secretary of State's office and the legislature have a robust process to um, name the values that we as Vermonters want to see in our public engagement process and really set the standards. Um, and I'd be happy to send you some, some drafts. <laughs> because this isn't the first time people have thought about this, but there's a wonderful organization, the National Coalition for Dialogue and Deliberation, that has been looking at um, what do we really mean when we are talking about high-quality, transparent uh, public engagement. And I would love to see our state commit to um, those qualities, um, because so often uh, in the legislative process, um, you know, we say we want a thing to happen, whether it's you know, consolidate our school district or, um, you know, improve our water quality or, you know, revise Act 250 or whatever it is that we say we're going to do. Um, and we tell, you know, our school boards or whoever to do it, but we haven't told them what we mean when we say public engagement. We just say engage the public. Mm-hmm. So I would love to see um, some, some standards uh, set. And, and, and guess what? We have to set those standards 
through a public engagement process. Okay. <laughs> it can't just be a top-down mandate. Um, and um, but I but I, I we can at least offer a draft. Um, and uh, and I would love to see um, uh, it, it enforced uh, in a way where we really look at. I mean, you know, I heard you chuckling around. You know, Act Forty Six, school consolidation. You know, a very controversial issue. Um, the the engagement process um, that 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 law fell back on was from the nineteen sixties. It, it, it was the the, the seven hundred six merger process was on the statute from when we were consolidating our high schools in the in the sixties. Nothing was new about that, and we know so much more about how people engage um, uh, now than uh, than when that law was written. And furthermore, guess what? The Internet was, was invented. And so our citizenry has changed. Our expectations as citizens have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to expect people to engage in the same ways and to expect those mechanisms, those creaky old mechanisms that really weren't very good to begin with, to continue to hold up, just uh, irresponsible. Well, I think Act 46 is a particularly apt example for this mm-hmm. conversation because it's not just the how the public participation towards and around Act 46 happened. It's also that many people are opposed to it because they believe that it's going to fundamentally strip a mechanism of public participation from our communities. And one of what I'm curious about um, and can have been curious about throughout this process is we've many communities have not had much control over school funding for quite a while. So, but there's still such value in that. So how do we continue to use town meeting and to use community participation processes to garner that same community meaning and community feeling and community engagement, given that control and um, locuses of control have shifted? What, what can sort of a post-Act 46 community participation process around schools really look like? Right. I think that's a, that's a really, really good question. And, um, you know, the thing uh, about complexity and, and uh, the, you know, and obviously if, you're, if you've just gone from a one-town to a six-town district or, you know, that kind of thing, um, it's going to be that much harder to understand what's going on. Complexity actually calls for more public engagement, not less, which is, again, kind of counterintuitive. But, you know, a lot of today's hot topics, and certainly Act 46 would fit that, uh, that, that uh, rubric, but things like climate change or race or immigration, they're so complex that they're what analysts call wicked, wicked problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no simple one right answer, partly because of competing underlying values, or in the case of Act 46, um, partly because even the issue itself hasn't um, particularly been defined in a way that everyone agrees. Um, and, you know, like citing windmills, for me, that's a, that's a wicked problem. Because it's a good example because on the one hand, I, I want to support alternative energy, and on the other hand, I want to protect our beautiful ridge lines. So it, it's the good guys versus the good guys. And um, there's some terrific research out of Colorado State. Uh, there's Professor Martin Carcasson who explains that the, the most problem-solving models focus either on uh, expertise or on activism. Mm-hmm. Um, but wicked problems are inherently different. They don't respond to expert technical solutions, mm-hmm. and they don't respond to, to politics and deal-making. What they do respond to is 
the slow, trusting, face-to-face communication. So the way you frame the question, you know, how can, how can we move forward in this, you know, um, complex, wicked problem uh, environment? Um, you know, the, the, the answer is um, with um, engaging, I mean, <laughs> inclusion, deliberation, and power, um, bring, bring um, a diverse group of people to the table. They are more likely to come if they have, if they know that their engagement is going to result in action. Um, we know this, we know this well, but we certainly know it from town meeting participation. Uh, you know, the, the surest way to get uh, folks to a town meeting is to put something a hot issue on, on, the, on the ballot because they know that that is where the decision is going to be made. So um, linking um, the, the, the process to so that people can see how their engagement is going to be, uh, have an impact on the, on the outcome. Um, uh, oftentimes, it's going to be, have to be um, a, a um, small group, large group combination. Um, it's not, you know, it's small group processes and big group processes. Um, there's, there, there are lots of different techniques that we can use, um, and it's not just going to be a cookie cutter approach, mm-hmm. um, depending on the, uh, on the diversity of audiences you want to engage. So, Susan, this is Olga. I'm a little curious. We're just about out of time, but I want to ask you one last question, and that is in Vermont, I know on the national level, we could probably tick off all sorts of threats to our democracy. But in Vermont, I'm wondering, what are some of the threats you see, and how can we as communities reverse them or circumvent them? Mm. Well, I mentioned what I thought was one of our greatest strengths, uh, which it essentially comes down to scale. We know each other. Um, we oftentimes make decisions out of scale where we can each other as, as people and not as sort of caricatures. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even though uh, uh, my community might be, you know, um, socioeconomically diverse, um, I know that when I drive home from town meeting and I accidentally drive into a snowbank, the next person that comes along, whoever it is, is likely to pull me out, and, and I'm going to be okay about that. And even though they're they're and, and they're going to be okay with pulling me out, there's this sense of reciprocity and sense of connection. I think that we, in, in our quest for efficiency, um, we overlook um, the incredible strength that we, our, our, our communities have because of the weaving together um, uh, thanks to scale. And as we look for efficiencies, um, we, we've already seen this in our school discussions, and I expect we're probably going to start to see it in our municipal discussions as well. We're going to look for regionalizing decision-making. Um, we have to think about how are we going to um, uh, account for the loss of democratic engagement? And it can be done. It, it, it's not that it can't be done, but we can't just assume that we can use the same tools, uh, you know, just double the recipe and the, and the, uh, and the outcome is the same. We're going to have to uh, really, really uh, um, pay attention to the process as well. Well, Susan, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And we are out of time, but we hope to have you back on the Montpelier Happy Hour again. Hello, hello, and welcome. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7. I'm your host, Olga Peters, and my regular contributor, 
co-host is Emily Kornheiser. Welcome, Emily. Hi, Olga. And doesn't that Ruth have just the most pleasing voice doing she that co-op ad? does. Doesn't that want to make you go get a smoothie that at the co-op? Really yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. If you're just tuning in, we, we're playing an interview with Susan Clark. She is head of democracy in Vermont. I kind of think of her when I think of democracy. And I'm wondering, Emily, what were some of your takeaways from that conversation? And how does it play into your work on the state level? Takeaways for me um, were about, there's sort of two threads of them. One, she was talking about these new technologies for participation and really rethinking our engagement techniques, given the complexity of problems we're dealing with. And the other part is ideas around deliberation. And so I guess, again, you know, I took with me things that I often am thinking about already myself because here I am human. But this whole idea that town meeting is the should be the end of a conversation and not the beginning of a conversation. Mm -hmm. And so so curious about what we can do here in Wyndham County, here in Brattleboro and statewide to really be having these conversations in an ongoing way so that by the time politicians like myself get to the legislature by the time town meeting reps get to town meeting we really have a sense of that the community is standing with us standing by us and has put their heart soul and thoughts and needs into the conversation already mm-hmm. I think that was a big takeaway from for me is that Susan's very clear that town meeting and Robert Robert's rules of order specifically are a decision making process, not necessarily a deliberative process or a policy building process, which I think mistakenly we often treat them that way when when we are holding meetings. Uh, same with the think of the for me, the big example is building a municipal budget. Mm-hmm. You know, so often at town meetings, someone will raise their hand and they're like, well, I want to change this or why couldn't we put money towards that when those questions actually needed to come in September or October when the conversations around the budget first started um and and, I hear you about that right and and that's not perfect like how do we still engage people but I think we forget like that that um, different parts of the problem solving process can happen at different times they don't necessarily happen in the same framework in the same meeting. Absolutely. And so different kinds of meetings and different forms of participation are helpful at different parts in a decision-making process. Mm -hmm. And so when we need to do real deliberation or even understanding what the situation in front of us is, I don't see that we really even have a mechanism for that right now. It's a good point. Select board meetings are fun to attend sometimes. (laughs) But the public participation is very limited and it's very structured. And when you have, you know, sort of a lineup of people facing you and then just one person at a mic, that's not um, that doesn't necessarily always bring out the richness in the conversation the way, say, a group conversation could or everyone really sitting at the same level might or sort of that small group, large group Mm -hmm. idea that Susan was pointing to. Right. Right. And there again, the select board meeting is a little bit more of a decision-making time, again, than deliberative. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Susan kind of pointed to 
which she quote unquote called subcommittees and at the municipal level she considered those the planning commission the you know tree committee the town arts committee those type of things as as the place where those more deliberative processes could happen is that um what do you think I think that's really interesting I the way our town committees operate right now I don't know if everyone realizes that they exist Mm -hmm. or that they're available and no blame on anyone. I think the town does a really good job publicizing when there's openings on them, Mm -hmm. but I think people just don't really know that they're there, understand how they might be able to plug in. Similarly in the legislature, once a bill gets to the floor for voting, we might, especially on the house side, be engaged in something that looks like debate, but generally we're all just playing parts in a theater piece. We're not actually (laughs) debating. Very few people change their mind once they get to the floor. Most of what happens in terms of deliberation happens through the committee structure. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if citizens are aware of ways that they can really participate in the legislative committee structure. Yeah, here's one thing that you and I have touched on, but I think this conversation highlights even more, is that two with the committees there's that you know for us in Wyndham County just using Montpelier as an example getting up there to a committee meeting is not the easiest thing ever so true and very beautiful highway though we have gorgeous yeah it's one of those highways where you're like hmm I actually get to live here Uh, but yeah how do we get people from point a to point b as far as engaging goes And then the way Susan talked about even town meeting or community level meetings, this idea of offering food and childcare is one step, but Mm -hmm. I think we even need to go a little bit further. So we think about what time things happen. If we are, um, legislative committees often do sort of road shows, Mm -hmm. but they're often set up as public hearings, not as public deliberative forums. And so that's a real difference too. you know, making something look like a party rather than hearing, Mm -hmm. I think can go a long way into making sure that multiple voices get in the room. Yeah. As I was going through her, the book she wrote with, uh, wouldn't teach out a slow democracy. It was reminding me of, I think in, in, there are so many ways Vermont is ahead of the curve. Vermont, Vermonters are ahead of the curve when it comes to things like public process because I think we do have it woven into our communities Mm -hmm. more so compared to elsewhere in, in the country. However, there's still, I, I feel we almost need to take a step back even further and, and relearn some of these things. For example, the, what's been holding with me since we recorded this on Tuesday with Susan, um, (coughs) was, you know, she talks about some of the myths around democracy, and one of them is that there are winners or there are losers, for examples. And I think that's huge. And it can feel that way if all you're doing is showing up for the decision-making process. But, you know, Susan talked a lot about that deliberative process as a place where we can understand (coughs) where we are in an issue and where everyone's coming from. And so it's much more, I use the word consensus, and I realize that that is a tricky word, but that, that place like, okay, where's the common ground, and what are the needs, 
and where are we trying to get to as a community process rather than that decision-making process that happens at town meeting. And I think that's even someplace we need to step back at and, and relearn those practices. Absolutely, because if we're already at the decision-making process when we gather with each other, it's really hard for people to move, to pull back from their reactivity, to pull back from their defensiveness, to pull back from a position Mm -hmm. to enter real deliberation for these complex problems that she referred to. However, if what we're doing when we're in conversation with each other is trying to just understand the complex issue, I'd rather call it a complex issue than a wicked problem. Um, partly because <laughs> I'm not from New England problem. and I think calling things wicked is super peculiar, but I love it. you said it was also British, which makes me feel better. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> maybe because there's something just exciting about the England, but I also worry about calling things problems rather than issues hmm. because then you wind up saying that, you know, people are problems mm-hmm. rather than sort of a societal happening right might be something that's going on that we want to focus on Mm -hmm. so you know in this community we've been talking a lot about the panhandling problem Mm -hmm. which really points to people as problems fairly quickly instead of just talking about something that's happening in town that people have different perspectives on maybe we can meet a little bit in the middle and call them wicked complexities yes i think that would is a really inclusive way to talk about it wicked complexities i think that makes a really good sort of meeting poster Wick, come discuss wicked complexities mm-hmm. it's hard to tell that i'm being sarcastic because my cold's <laughs> making my voice flat all the time but maybe we should even rename the show wicked complexities Ooh. Mm-hmm. no i like the party a- aspect of happy hour okay Though okay. I don't know. Now you got me thinking about it. Yeah. I kind of like wicked complexities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if we have people show up and they're trying to unpack complexity together, that becomes a creative act mm-hmm. rather than either a destructive act or a defensive act, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's something I have a feeling we, we actually don't do enough of. That, that creative aspect and looking at things as a creative building aspect. I think a lot of our narrative tries to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a feeling, especially in Wyndham County, where we are such, regardless of where you sit on the political spectrum, uh, we tend to work a lot through activism or mm-hmm. the framework of activism. And that is a very powerful framework, but it is also a framework that deals with winners and losers. Yes, absolutely. And I'm really hoping that over the next six months on this show, we can really, you know, week by week, start unpacking some mm-hmm. of those different issues that often just winds up as winners and losers and um, yeses and nos and diametric positions that we can really pull things apart enough to begin those community conversations together. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. Yes, definitely. And and isn't it a good thing that you have until January before you have to go back to the session? You it have is. time to talk about it. We do, we do. <laughs> and I realized just today, I remember that soon we're going to be able to let people call into the show. We are, yes. I can't wait to hear what people say. It's going to take a little while. We'll let people know when they can start calling in. Um, I'll just be very straight 
and honest that I'm still figuring out all the buttons. <laughs> There's a lot of buttons here. Mm-hmm. They're very pretty, though. They light up with nice colors. They are. And that's one of the amazing things about community radio is we were allowed to come up here with quite a short training mm-hmm. and start being on the airwaves. And so encourage other members of the community if they have wicked complexities <laughs> that they want to talk about, they might be able to get a radio show here, too. I think we need to put wicked complexities on a T-shirt. Okay. There, that's all there is to it. That's it. It's going on a mm-hmm. T-shirt. We're going to have merch people <laughs> come and buy it. Come, come get the swag. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you're hoping to unpack if, if in a perfect world? Yes. So we've begun with some of them. So I'd Mm -hmm. really like to unpack public participation a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. How sunshine laws work. Yeah. um, How quorums work and don't work. How people can learn more about what public bodies are doing and what Mm -hmm. governmental bodies are doing. I'm really excited about that. I'm excited to unpack how the legislative process is both an aid to justice and something that often hinders Mm-hmm. complexity. I really want to unpack that a little bit together. So I'm looking forward to that. I think it's really important that people understand how the citizen legislature actually makes laws. Yeah. Because once you understand a system, it's so much easier to make change within it. Mm-hmm. And then um, some pressing issues that I think you and I have already spoken about a lot. I'm <laughs> looking forward to talking about even more is wages in Wyndham County. Yeah. How wages and economic development intersect and don't. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to talking about the mental health system or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. What else do you think we need to unpack this? Well, we're also going to, you you touched on it with wages, but I'll I'll put a finer word on it, and that's economic development. Uh, And because wages is one part of how you have a, a thriving life. Yeah, absolutely. So what is the economy even for? Mm -hmm. How does it serve us? How do we serve it? And what are ways to make change and how we frame those issues? And I think that's a big question and a really important one in Wyndham County specifically because we talk about uh, Brattleboro a lot, especially because I live near Brattleboro and you represent Brattleboro, Emily. And it is one of the larger economies in this county. However, it's not the only economy. I mean, Wilmington and Dover and the Deerfield Valley has a tourist economy, and that has different pressures and different needs and serves different people than the one in Brattleboro. And then, of course, Bellows Falls, Rockingham, that area has their own economy as well. And then we're part of this regional tri-state economy where people are constantly crossing the border to go shopping or to go to work or what have you. And... um, I think sometimes we forget that each of those have their own little pressure points. Absolutely. And decision-making in each of those plays out very, very differently. Mm -hmm. And so really figuring out how that works and how we can be a part of those conversations, I think, will be important. Yeah. Just as an example, folks, just to to help frame that a little bit, if you read last week's comments or this week's comment, they're all kind of run together when you're on deadline all the time. I wrote a story about a housing study that's being done in the Deerfield Valley, specifically Wilmington and Dover. And, you know, when we talk about housing issues over on this side of the county, on the Connecticut Riverside, we talk a lot about affordable housing. We talk a lot about vacancy rates, um, those sorts of things. And, And they talk about those in 
some of the challenges to, in this housing study as well that's just about to start in Wilmington and Dover. But the fact that they're a tourist economy and they have a huge second home uh, population, that has really changed how housing, housing prices work. And it's really put a pressure on whether or not employers can find local employees because people can, they, a lot of people have been priced out of Wilmington and Dover. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a slightly different scenario than what we're, we're feeling over here. I think the outcome's the same that people can't find affordable housing, mm -hmm. but the pressures are slightly different and, and the root cause is slightly different. And so they would have different solutions as well. I've actually um, have been curious about how much that plays itself out on Wyndham County as a whole. I think West mm -hmm. Brattleboro, which is my district, actually has a remarkable number of second homes. Really? In a way that really surprises me because while I love it being my primary home, if I could ever afford or wanted a second home, I'm not sure I would pick... West Brattleboro, I think I'd want something that was right on the water, but maybe mm -hmm. that's just me and my vacation mind um, <laughs> and my unvacationed self. But there are a huge number of second homes in West mm -hmm. Brattleboro and a decent number of Airbnb spots. Yes. And so really understanding how that's all playing itself out, how Airbnb really helps some people stay in their homes and afford their homes, while at the same time having a bit of a stranglehold on the market. Mm -hmm. for rental housing and other parts. So that's going to be a fun conversation. That will be a fun conversation. And then um, my thought just fell right out of my head about the other piece that we're planning to talk about that I'm really looking forward to. So maybe you can say something now, Olga. Well, one thing I'm, I can, <laughs> I, I can do that. One thing I'm fascinated with in general, and I think it drives some of the journalism that I do, is I am always fascinated with... And it, it's not always a disconnect, but it can be the stories we tell ourselves about why things are happening and how they work and versus how they are kind of working. Um, and I think the economy is a great example of that is is always really fascinating because we as humans, we are intellectual creatures, but we're also emotional creatures. And those two things play off each other. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's why having as many voices at the table is always very important to me because we're each telling ourselves different stories. We're just each experiencing our community differently. And I, I don't think one person has the truth. I think the truth comes out of all those pieces put together. And that's exactly why we need these deeply deliberative processes mm -hmm. that multiple people in the community are participating in. The other um, topic that I'm looking forward to in our next few months is looking at legislation that occurs around these deeply emotional issues. Mm -hmm. So how do you essentially legislate morality right. and should you? So right. how do we talk about drugs? How do we talk about sex? How do we talk about talking mm -hmm. right so what is the legal framework for those things and what is government's role in those conversations right and what is the difference between something being effective and something being right mm. that's a very i bet the line is a little finer than we might believe perhaps i i certainly <laughs> think so i am looking forward to you had mentioned sunshine uh shine laws and I'm looking forward to in general I hope we can impart 
as as well as as shaking a few things loose, I hope we can impart some civics and and just some nuts and bolts information. I recently went to the Newfane Library, which is actually the more free library. And they're in the process of launching a series, basically civics, nuts and bolts of how communities work and how government works. And the reason they're doing that is at town meeting, a number of people tried to participate and it was very clear they just didn't understand how government works. Like, they didn't understand that the town raised money through property taxes. And so if you raise the town budget, your property taxes went up. Like there was even some very basic understanding like that. And I have a feeling sometimes when I go to meetings and community conversations, I feel like I'm attending the same meeting over and over and over again. It's a little bit like Groundhog Day. That's just you that feels that way. Just me? No one else has No one. Oh, (laughs) lucky me. No, that's... (laughs) We, we do tend to restart the conversation every time we come together. Yeah. And, and part of that is because we can't control when people enter the conversation. And so s- someone's always got to be brought up to speed. But I think also sometimes it's just basic nuts and bolts of, of how these processes work. Um, just need a little shoring up. You were going to say something, and I was going to say something. So it's true. First. It's fun that we can make <laughs> eye contact. We've always done this on the telephone before. I am really um, curious about with those nuts and bolts and with people better understanding how the process works, how people can take greater power from that. So a huge part of, I think, what most legislators do in terms of constituent service is really just helping people understand when something's a town issue, when something's a state issue, and when something's a national issue, and what the pressure points are in each of those things, Mm -hmm. or how to talk to um, different agencies, state agencies. Most state agencies have a contact person whose job is to work with people who need advocacy. And so um, on this show, I really hope that we can start making those connections for people Mm -hmm. so they can do that work themselves. And we should remind people that you can always, if you have a question, you can always drop Emily or I a line. You You can get information to us through the Facebook page, which is Vermontitude, or the SoundCloud page, which is also Vermontitude, and then just drop me a line and then Emily remind remind folks how they can get in touch with you emilykornheiser.org Emily Kornheiser representative on Facebook Instagram or Twitter so yes if you have questions let them fly because that will help us also craft future episodes that might be a little more useful to people (laughs) it absolutely will one thing I'd love people's feedback on is this whole idea of new meeting technology sort of Circling back yeah. to what Susan was saying, what is it beyond childcare and food that make a difference for people to show up somewhere? Mm-hmm. Because I've been to a lot of meetings where I provided food and childcare and had a lot of leftover food and a lot of lonely childcare providers. Aww. And while I know that you need to offer that multiple times before people really trust that it's there. Mm-hmm. I'm still curious what else is needed because I don't think that's enough. I think there's some, there's another element that we're not naming. Yeah. And I wonder what it is for people. Like, what is it that pulls you out after a long day at work to come talk to your neighbors about something? I'm going to hazard a guess, and 
yes, people, please provide uh, feedback on this. I'm going to hazard a guess that it is, one, the issues. Some people care about issues more, you know, certain issues more than others. But I also wonder if there is a sense of trust that needs to be rebuilt that if someone speaks that they're heard and if what they speak on does not lead to direct results why that is i i think for a variety of reasons over many many decades not just vermont we have as a country lost a little bit of faith in the public process i really agree and it's important in a public meeting i think or in a public conversation to be really clear what's going to happen with people's feedback and then loop back to them about how that turned out. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was knocking on people's doors last summer and a lot of people told me that they were registered to vote because most people are registered to vote in Vermont, but they didn't vote. Mm-hmm. And I asked why. And it was essentially, you know, we've been through multiple governments and multiple leaders. And my life hasn't changed at all. So right. why should I bother? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's it's that's so much what I tend to say to develop uh, economic development experts that you can get as many grants as you want and you can do as many programs as you want. But until someone sees every storefront downtown full and or their paycheck goes up. Those grants and those programs don't necessarily mean much. No, they're not real for people right. until we can see real change in their lives. So what does it mean for politicians to make a real commitment mm-hmm. to the people who vote for them that they will see change in their life and how do legislators even are even able to come together and negotiate that the change that my constituents in West Brattleboro want to see is the same change that say a representative from Wardsboro's constituents want to see right how do we deliberate on behalf of people who have already deliberated Well, Emily, thank you. And thank you for everyone who tuned in to the Montpelier Happy Hour today. We will be here live at 2 p.m. every day on Friday, I should say. Not every day, on Friday. (laughs) (laughs) And you can also find these conversations podcasted online at the Vermontitude SoundCloud page. And there'll also be links from the Vermontitude Facebook page as well. And... I think that's everything we need to let people know, at least for today. I think we'll add more next week. There will be more next week. I'm in the process. Emily won't be here next week, but I'm in the process of setting up some guests for Friday that I'm excited. I hope they say yes. And I will be thinking of you all at a legislative conference in Nashville. Woohoo! The keynote speaker is Dolly Parton. Oh, (laughs) I freaking love that. I'm very excited. Yeah. Are you being sarcastic? No. No. I am very excited. <laughs> Legislators, Nashville in the summer, Dolly Parton. I, that's going to be the best vacation ever. It's, I, I kind of, can you film it maybe? Can you I try? Can try. I okay. can try. Okay, yeah. good, because I want to see this. <laughs> All right, folks, we are going to sign off. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will be here with you next Friday at 2 p.m. Take care.